that was awesome from Andrew. Let us pray. Gracious God, we have come to sit together under your word, and we pray that you will work your miracle, transform our thoughts, the preaching, the reading, the discussion into your living, transformative word. We pray this upon the strong name of Jesus Christ Almighty. Amen. The Old Testament lesson today is from the prophet Hosea, chapter 11, the first 11 verses. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called him my son. Yet the more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals, the other gods, offering incense to idols. And yet it was I that taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, and they did not know when I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to feed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests. It devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the Most High they call, but he does not raise them up at all. And yet, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Admah? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria. They shall return to their home, says the Lord. The New Testament lesson is from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 3. This is either the Apostle Paul or followers of Apostle Paul, writing in Paul's name, talking to a congregation just like ours. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. So put to death whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which after all is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, especially anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and clothed yourself with a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of its creator. And in that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ in all. May the Lord bless this reading of his holy word. So it was just last Saturday when it happened again. I was um, riding with um, a group of Badlanders, that's the local cycling club that I belong to, Woody belongs to, Jay belongs to. Uh, hint, you're welcome to join. And we were up by Green Bluff. Wonderful day to ride together. The nice thing about a cycling club is that this is a very community-oriented club that places safety first and foremost. And um, we were not only following all of the transit rules, but we ride in such a way as to not surprise motorists. And I could hear it behind me, and I knew exactly what was going to happen when the large black pickup truck screamed by us, moved towards us, and then blew coal. Do you know what blowing coal is? It doesn't happen naturally. So, if you're worried about blowing coal, you won't. You have to premeditate this. In fact, you have to modify your rig illegally at the price of about $5,000. But when you do, you can blow coal, which is essentially, in this case, around the cyclist, pushing tremendous amount of exhaust out so that the cyclist breathes 
exhaust and are filled or encompassed by black smoke. Uh, the driver was able to blow coal twice on this group of cyclists. Now, we ride in the Pacific Northwest. This isn't the only time that this has happened. We're experienced. We sort of expect it. It actually happened on the sea uh, trican ride with uh, Joey and I, um, uh, right in the area that Joey grew up. It might have been one of Joey's friends. But the interesting thing to me is the premeditated part. Um, $5,000 is a lot of money. What is going on in the mind of the person who sets themselves up to be able to blow coal? Today we're going to talk about anger because it shows up in both of our uh, texts, but also because at the root um, it is a very serious um, cultural uh, reality today. Uh, let's just, from the very beginning, talk psychologically about anger. And what I want us to think about is the way in which anger, not the emotion that the children identified, but the nurturing of anger, which probably the decision to spend $5,000 so your rig can blow coal represents how that's actually a drug, how anger is a drug. Human neurobiology rewards anger. It feels good at the time. If you're angry, it feels like the thing to do. It overrides all other moral and rational breaks in the brain because it originates from a very primordial, original limbic system. Earlier, you heard the Apostle Paul or his followers say, push off all, I forget what the translation is in Greek, it's pornea. And that's, that's a hard word to translate because it's not a pinpoint, but what it really points to is the type of sexual desire that you would find on the farm in the field the instinctual sexual desire to not care about the other person, but to simply get what you need. Paul says, when you're in Christ, put that away. So what we could say is whatever these words are, the Apostle Paul is talking about the same part of the brain. Anger is similar to other addictions. What happens is that anger can lead to similar rushes, um, it triggers dopamine, and because of that, it is addictive. As an addiction, not only does it function to raise dopamine levels, but just like a heroin addiction, you need more. You need more. Which raises the question, if you spend $5,000 on your rig so it can roll coal, do you just bump into cyclists or do you look for them if you need more? 
Anger boosts ego fragility. There's a psychological aspect of ego fragility and injury. Uh, we recognize it with people who have narcissistic wounds or who have narcissistic personalities. But basically, it's the sense of walking around feeling as if life owes you something. Now, even though this is an extremely popular attitude in our society, I think it's fair to say that the Apostle Paul would say, if you're in Christ, you will not have that attitude. You have already received from Christ everything that you could possibly want and hope for. And it's not about deserving anything because you and I have received that out of grace. Has our society become so fragile in terms of its own self-identity uh, self that we need the drug of anger? And then finally, we see this all the time, anger becomes a familiar, comfortable way of avoiding emotional connection, commitment. The very stuff that you and I were created for. You've heard me say, sorry, this is not working very well today. Sorry, Daniel. Helen, the tape we talked about. You'll see me with duct tape next week. We were created for relationship and wired for struggle. What anger helps us do is avoid both. That's why anger is a drug. So last week we focused on humility, humility being rooted, grounded in our relationship with God. Being grounded in God also means being grounded in God's work, which stands above and beyond our experience reality. And that this, being grounded in God's work, is another aspect of humility or being grounded in God. I think that's why the author says, you have been raised with Christ. Because of this, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on those things that are above, not things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Martha Moore Keish, commenting on this passage, says, by saying you've been raised with Christ and their lives are hidden with Christ in God, Paul destabilizes our secure street address. So for me, that's 227 West 25th Avenue. We no longer live flat-footedly in the realm of things that perish. We are bound to Christ at Christ's right hand. Our identities are no longer defined by the world in which, in which things and people die. We who rest our faith in Christ's resurrection knows that death does not have the last word. We place our faith beyond this realm. And so in a real sense, we draw our lives, our identities from Christ on the other side of death. And I would submit to you we can't put our minds on things that are above if we're drugged, if we're intoxicated. We need every 
neural synapse in our mind to put our mind on things that are above. So no wonder Paul says, put away anger. He's saying that not because he wants a nice congregation, not because he wants a type of detente where everyone seems to be getting along together, because what's at stake is really paying attention to what God is doing and why God created us and what God has for us even here at Manitou Presbyterian Church. And we can't do that if we are drugged up. So, you must get rid of all such things. Look at the list again. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Have I not just read the business plan of cable news? Now, you're sort of chuckling, but there's something for us to notice about that. I don't care if you're liberal or conservative. We need to know that cable news is drugging us. We need to know that. And why wouldn't they? It's a great business plan. But as Christians, Paul would say, come on. Get rid of such things. Do not lie to one another. What has our politics devolved down to? Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with a new self. So if the old self is tied intimately to the reptilian brain, the brain that activates, in such a way as to build, especially on the emotion of anger, and to live in the world of resentment, right? If we're supposed to put off that self in order to put on the new self, it's not about being nice, it's about being more alive. It's about really having hope. Hope, not because we know what we're doing, but because God is always doing something amazing. And it doesn't matter if cable news doesn't point that out. Why should they? They're on drugs. Remember the old thing? If you're old like me, this is your brain, egg. This is your brain on drugs, egg in the frying pan. Paul is not interested in personal piety. Paul is interested in the spiritual and psychological health of the Christian community as it is connected to God. And notice where this leads at the very end. He says, in this renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew. Let's just stop right there. Okay. Maybe you're not a very resentful person, but think of someone in your family who is. Start thinking about their list of gripes. Start thinking about their enemy list, right? You got that? Okay. You want to talk enemies? Let's talk about enemies between Jews and Greeks at the time of the writing of this gospel.
I promise you, you will not produce anything that's even close to the type of resentment that Jews and Greeks could feel towards each other. Not even close. We'd have to go to some place like Rwanda or Ukraine. If we are locked on what's below, how can that pain, that trauma, ever be resolved? It can't. It can only be sort of resolved, we think, with the destruction, the utter destruction and annihilation of the enemy. And yet, it's really not resolved, even when that happens. The only hope is not from things below, but things above. And we will never get there as long as we live in the house of anger. Just months ago, in May, a significant study was published in the Journal of Politics. This study sought to examine the reasons for the decline of the democratic process that we have all lived through in recent years. The study says, a functioning democracy relies on social interactions with people who, wait for it, disagree. By the way, so does a church, including listening to others' viewpoints, having political discussions, and finding political, wait for it, compromise. Our findings suggest that increasing levels of political anger paralyze, right? Just like a drug. Politics and harms democracy by influencing American social actions and relationships. This is a serious thing. How strong is this drug? Well, they found that this drug of political anger on social polarization driving us apart is stronger than gender pulling us apart, is stronger than race pulling us apart is stronger than religion pulling us apart. In their study, they discovered that parents are way more concerned about their children marrying someone from an opposite political party than what they are, than they are of any other cross-fertilization issue. This, didn't always be, this wasn't always the case, right? This is something that has picked up, like Oxycontin, like a heroin epidemic. In most cases, the effect of political anger on social polarization is moderated neither by gender nor race, leading to a situation in which American politics can be characterized by a vicious cycle of solar, social, sorry, polarization, social sorting, and anger. Even more, when people are angry, they are more likely to rely on simple heuristics, simplicity, bad arguments. Who does that benefit? Dare I mention cable news? They don't even have to say anything that is that interesting anymore. If you're angry, you stay glued. A few years ago, Barbara Brown Taylor in Christianity Today wrote a little article titled, Why We Love This Deadly Sin. 
anger. Staying angry protects us from getting hurt again, but at what price? She writes, staying angry with you now is how I protect myself from you. Refusing to forgive you is not only how I punish you, it's also how I keep you from getting close enough to hurt me again. Let's pause and ask ourselves, is this what God is about? Is this what God said he was about, God was about in Hosea? Is this what God is about in Jesus Christ? She writes, if you have ever cherished resentment, and I do think, right, we should open up a chapter of Resenters Anonymous, you know how right it can make you feel to have someone in the world that you believe is all wrong. You may not be up to admitting it yet, but one of the great benefits of having an enemy is that you always get to look good by comparison. It also helps to have someone to blame for what your life is when it doesn't turn out to be the way that you think it is supposed to. Of course, anger in and of itself is neither good nor bad. Anger in many ways is appropriate. It's one of those primal emotions. In our scriptures, both Old and New Testament, God indicates God's own anger. In fact, in Colossians, if you want to be really cynical, one way of reducing simplistically the argument down is put away your angry because if you don't, God's going to be angry at you. But in Hosea, we see the deity work through resentment, betrayal, disbelief. Disbelief. Hurt and come to the moral decision, I will not execute my fierce anger. And it's almost as if God was created for relationship and wired for struggle. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. So I will act differently. I will detox. I will set my mind on the things above. God's ability to put away God's anger, God's righteous anger, is what makes God God. Grounded, humbled in the triune relationship, God forgives. God risks being hurt again. God listens to those of us who protest what's happening in God's creation. God slows down. Those are the things above that our monkey brain, our lizard brain, is not wired to do. 
Barbara Brown Taylor says, when I slow down, I can usually learn something from my anger. And if I'm lucky, I can use the energy of it to push for change in myself or in my relationship with others. Often I can see my own part in what I'm angry about. I can, in other words, figure out what my anger has to teach me and then let it go. But when my anger goes on without my learning, it becomes bitterness. It becomes resentment. It becomes what a friend of mine calls arthritis of the soul. I don't know what to tell you about our society. Each day, um, I'm more and more perplexed and humbled by what I see. But what I do know is that the task before the church of Jesus Christ is exactly what the Apostle Paul says. We can't join in being drugged by anger. We have to set our sights on what is above. We have to ground ourselves in our relationship in Jesus Christ. I really think that's our only hope. And yet, maybe that's really the true hope that we've had all along. Maybe the hope of democracy, maybe, is only a hope if it is fueled by the stuff from above. Clothe yourself with a new self. Let us 